Well, let's pray as we kick off this brand new series together this morning. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you want to come and walk alongside us as we live our lives, as we deal with different emotions. God, we thank you for this story in Nehemiah. God, how the Bible is filled with people just like us that had to find ways to deal with these emotions. God, I thank you for how much you love us and you care for us. Speak to us this morning through your word. In your name, amen. Well, it was a strange feeling to be in this place. The dirt, the stones, the smells, the people must have all felt so surreal. See, he had grown up hearing stories about this place. He knew the importance of this place. But to be here now was something entirely different. He meticulously walks the edges of the city, running his hands along the stones that are quickly solving a problem that so blatantly needed to be fixed. What good was a city without walls to protect it? How feeble and irresponsible it must have seemed to those who lived around this once great city. But have no fear, progress was being made. He continues to inspect the work that's being done. And it must have been so satisfying for him to see a vision that God had put on his heart and his mind some 900 miles away, now coming into existence right before his very eyes. At this point, the wall was halfway done. The work had been hard, and the timeline had been accelerated, but the vision and the plan was clear. And even with all that had been accomplished, even with all that God had done, all the doors that he had opened, all that he had provided, there was still this feeling that was creeping into the city and into the people doing the work. Today, he expects more travelers to come with the news from the surrounding cities that that people are not overjoyed at the progress that's being made. And if he had to guess, even though the wall was half done, people are starting to wane. People are starting to grumble. Tiredness is setting in. The excitement and and the passion that got them to this point is starting to run on fumes. And the news of these angry neighboring cities and towns was becoming more and more frequent. He didn't travel this far with everything uh, in hand just to have the project grind to a halt. God had not brought him here only to see the plan fail. See, emotions were running high in the city, and they had come to a critical point in production. Today we're kicking off a brand new series called Emotions, and for the next uh, couple months we are going to be dealing with different feelings and emotions that we all deal with on a day-to-day or weekly basis. See, we can't go through a conversation, we can't look at social media, we can't watch the news, read a book, listen to music, go for a drive, go to work, see friends, be told to quarantine uh, without feeling or dealing with our emotions. Emotions can trigger us to get mad in an instant, can cause us to cry at the drop of a hat, can move us to celebrate an accomplishment, can keep us from forgiving someone, 
and drive us to succeed at all costs. Emotions are part of the way that God has wired us to live. I read this quote this week. I thought it summed up this whole idea uh, of kind of what we're going to talk about throughout this series. It says this, God designed your emotions to be gauges, not guides. God designed your emotions to be gauges, not guides. They're meant to report to you, not dictate to you. The pattern of your emotions will give you a reading on where your hope is because they are wired into what you believe and what you value. So through this series, we are going to look at just that. We're going to look at how to navigate between this relationship of emotions and faith, faith and emotions, and how God can help us to work through those emotions that he has given us. And so today, we are tackling this idea of discouragement. Discouragement is defined this way, the state of having lost your confidence or enthusiasm for something, to deprive of courage or confidence. Discouragement is something that comes up in all forms and shapes and sizes and and that everyone deals with. Maybe we deal with it when we can't figure out something when things seem to always be going wrong, when we compare ourselves to others, when life is hard, when we experience criticism, when we dwell on our own mistakes, when we can't see a way to get out of our current situations. See, we are all susceptible to discouragement. So the big idea today is also the thought that I hope you carry with you as we go through these weeks uh, and months of this series. And this is the idea. Live by faith, not by sight. Live by faith, not by sight. In other words, it's so easy to allow what is right in front of us, what we are experiencing in the present, the warning signs or the paths that our emotions are leading us down to define our thoughts and actions. It's so easy to allow the things that are right in front of us to define how we are going to live out through our thoughts and actions. And yet God is saying that there is another way to live, to live focused on his promises, which causes us to lean heavy on the faith in him, who loves us and cares for us more deeply than we could hope or imagine. And these are the two competing ideas that are going to show up in our passage this morning. Our intro today hopefully helped to set the stage for Nehemiah chapter 4. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. Uh, We are going to have the scripture on the screen as well. We're jumping right into the middle of the story of Nehemiah and his people, and we find that they are at work rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And when it came to rebuilding these walls, God had given Nehemiah not only clear direction and vision, but through numerous events laid out in Nehemiah chapter 1 to 3, we can see that God has opened doors, he had provided supplies, he has shown Nehemiah and the people in Jerusalem favor through different circumstances and events. And, And now we will see that they are about halfway done the wall, but they are going to be coming up against these two competing ideas of seeing what's right in front of them and also leaning on God and having faith in him. 
So we're going to start out in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. Jerusalem and its people in the time of Nehemiah were living in a discouraged state. In 586 BC, their city had been destroyed and they had been captured and many of them had been exiled. Since being exiled, God had slowly been bringing his people back to the city. These returned exiles had even found a way to rebuild the temple, which was so important to them. But they now were in need of protection. The lack of walls around the city left these people in danger and even defenseless against any number of enemies and attacks. I mean, this is the whole reason why Nehemiah ends up coming to Jerusalem. He hears this report all the way back in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. In a city in those days with broken walls was not only physically compromised, but it revealed a people who were unsafe and even humiliated. And this is what Sanballat, Tobiah, and the others were, were so against. That's why they were so against Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. They were content to see Jerusalem stay weak, to not allow the city to rise up to its former glory. The rebuilding of the wall and, and then the city would mean that it would weaken the other cities and towns and rulers around uh, Jerusalem. Nehemiah had backing of the king uh, and letters providing legitimacy to the work that he had set out to do. And so these people had only their empty threats and, and discouraging words at this point uh, to go against what Nehemiah was doing. If these last few months have taught me anything, is that there are a host of people with different views, and people who are not afraid to share those views and convictions with authority, no matter what the topic or what the circumstance. Makes me think of Psalm 55, 2 to 3. It says this, Please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hurt me. We have to remind ourselves that even when we are following God in obedience, that we are following his direction and his calling, that there will be those who dislike, who oppose, who misunderstand our actions and intentions. And some of them will be, will be outright against what we are doing. We must remember that. Nehemiah 4, verses 4 and 5 continue, and they say, Then I prayed, Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. 
May their scoffing fall on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. This is the thing about discouragement. Right at the beginning of the passage, we see Nehemiah is getting resistance and pressure from outside sources, trying to discourage the plans and the vision and the progress to rebuild this wall. And in many cases, it is so much easier for us to give in to what is happening in the present, what we can see, what we perceive happening right in front of us, allowing discouragement to set in to our lives. Rather than fighting with, with faith for focus uh, and the foundation for our next moves. It would be easy for Nehemiah to feel discouraged, to feel frustrated by those around him, only wanting him uh, to fail. But Nehemiah, Nehemiah chose in that moment to lean into what is unseen rather than focus on what is seen and present right in front of him. Psalm 4 verse 1 says this, Answer me when I call to you, O God, who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. The interesting thing about this prayer is that it seems like Nehemiah is reminding God of something, and, and he doesn't actually need to remind God of something. I think, better yet, he's trying to remind himself of something. Through this conversation with God, he is reminding himself of the vision um, and that doors have been opened to make this thing possible, uh, to make God's plan go ahead. That because Nehemiah is being obedient, the threats and the anger directed him at him are actually directed at God and the plan that God has put in Nehemiah's heart and mind, the, the plan that God has set in motion. Nehemiah 4 verse 6 says this, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. You might read this story and think, maybe you should cut these people some slack. There are armies rising up against them. They are tired. It's been hard work. They've been doing this at an accelerated pace. Maybe you can give them some, some time to be upset or tired or angry or even to allow a little bit of discouragement in their life. But then verse 6 happens, and I love how the Bible does this because there is no verse out of place when it comes to God's Word. The reality is that progress was being made. Things were being accomplished. And not just one stone here or one stone there or a pile of rubble cleaned up over here. Half the wall had been finished. It would have been pretty hard to miss a wall that wasn't there a few days or weeks before. But don't we do this too in our own lives? Even when there is physical evidence of God working and moving in our lives, we still find ways to be discouraged. We still find things to complain about. We still find ways of missing the obvious that's been right in front of us. And that's what happens to the, to the Jews here. Read in Nehemiah 4, verses 7 to 10. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, 
repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed again to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Verse 10, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there is much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. See, up to this point in this passage, the sources of discouragement for the Jews have been outside sources. Those that opposed the work, who did not see merit in its completion, who were worried or threatened by the actions taken within the city. And as we come to verse 10, verse 6 that we just talked about seems like such an afterthought or something long forgotten. Discouragement now came from within the walls, from within the ranks of the people. And this discouragement came from losing focus not only on the work, but on what God had miraculously led them to accomplish up to this point. In a moment, the progress that was staring them in the face was no longer comfort to them. Let's be honest, it's always easy to start something new. The excitement, the newness, the freshness, uh, they all help to propel something new into existence, a new venture or a new direction. But how do you feel when you get to the halfway point? There seems, this seems to be the time where hurdles start to arise, where, where issues that we didn't first encounter come up, where obst- obstacles seem to come in our way. At this point, the discouragement skews our view and takes something that should have been obvious and puts it out of focus. And this is where we can lose our drive and our direction. For these people, though, the progress should have been blatantly obvious. For people who had lived in that city for years, waking up, uh, walking out their front doors, and all of a sudden seeing a wall where there used to be no wall, Uh, must have been a sight to see. But somehow they were losing sight of what was right in front of them. They were losing sight of what God had already done. Nehemiah 4, verse 11 to 13 says this, Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Verse 12, The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, They will come from all directions and attack us. So I, Nehemiah, placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Verse 11 starts with this word, meanwhile. The way these verses are written, it seems that Nehemiah is hearing the complaints and the discouragement of his own people, and at the same time, he's having to deal with the ever-present danger of those living in and around Jerusalem uh, that want to attack him. Discouragement so can, e- can so easily uh, give us tunnel vision. It can highlight more things that are going wrong. It can block out the things that we need to hear or even things that we should be focusing on. If Nehemiah had let discouragement take root, uh, the reminders of these neighbors that keep coming in about the impending attacks could have just made Nehemiah kind of give up and give in to, to discouragement. 
could have been overwhelming to him. Did Nehemiah really need these constant reminders? This is what I wrote. Sometimes God uses those around us to remind us of what we need to see and what direction we need to go. Sometimes even when we have seen progress, when we are on the right path, even when we have been obedient, sometimes we don't see the half-done wall that's standing right in front of us. And that's when we can be thankful that there are other voices that God brings into our lives to remind us of things. And this is what Nehemiah does because he's being reminded about those that want to attack him. He's hearing the discouragement of those around him. So verse 14 says this, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. With everything continue, continuing to build, uh, Nehemiah knows that collectively they need to be reminded uh, of the plan, the process, and ultimately the fact that God is in control of everything. For the people of Jerusalem, they needed to come together to be encouraged and to hear from God. We need to be reminded of who God is and his goodness and his plan for our lives too. But, but lucky for us, we don't need a Nehemiah to call us to the city square. We have been given God's word to remind us. Because in truth, God's word is the perfect antidote for our own discouragement. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Nahum 1 verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. In Philippians 4, verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How can we expect to break the cycle of discouragement on our own? We need to be going to God's word. We need to be reading about his goodness and his promises for our lives. Nehemiah 4, verses 15 to 18 say, When our enemies heard that we knew their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But, but from then on, only half my men worked uh, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. I feel like for many of us, it's so easy to be discouraged and then 
continue to do things the way that we've always done them. Nehemiah has seen great progress on this wall uh, to this point, and so it would be easy uh, to deal with the discouragement on a surface level and then just continue to press forward the way that they've been doing things. But I think it's so smart of Nehemiah to be willing to change the way that he is doing things, to shift the way uh, the vision is going to be completed. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. For Nehemiah, the end goal was obedience. Building the wall was secondary. Listen to that again. For Nehemiah, the end goal was obedience. Completing the wall was secondary. Nehemiah was more concerned about doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord than even completing the wall. He just wanted to do what was right uh, in God's eyes. Think about it this way. Uh, I I can think about it this way in my life. When I was in high school, I decided that I wanted to be a youth pastor. Uh, I had God confirm this in my life uh, through many different people and situations. I was excited to go to Bible college and then to get my master's. Um, Melody and I I got married and we moved to Guelph, Ontario, and I I worked in my first full-time job as a youth pastor for 18 months, uh, and then we had to part ways with that church. That sent me into uh, an eight-year journey where it was really hard uh, to find a church uh, that wanted to to hire me or I felt uh, called to be there. And so for the next eight years, I worked plumbing and construction jobs. I I got a great job at KMS Tools where I did all kinds of, of different work there. But also, during those eight years, I volunteered at churches we attended. I played on worship teams. I led music on Sunday mornings. I volunteered uh, with the youth groups. Uh, Those eight years were not lost or forgotten just because I didn't have an official title or I wasn't getting a paycheck from a church. There were tons of times where I felt discouraged and, and all kinds of other emotions, But for me, the calling of obedience to serve and love God's church, the pastoral calling on my life, was always stronger than the need to be paid on staff. That was being paid on staff was a secondary bonus to living in obedience to what God had called me to do in his church. So for me, trusting that God had called me with gifts and abilities to serve his church didn't mean that I had to be paid or I had to be the upfront person. It actually meant that my obedience in living out my calling could be done in a bunch of different ways, in a bunch of different situations. And so for Nehemiah, he hears the criticism of his neighbors. He hears the grumblings of of those in the city. He sees the discouragement that starts to set in. And instead of just pushing forward, doing things the same way he's always done, he formulates a new plan to accomplish the goal that's been set before him, all while leaning into God and leading into the obedience of following him. Uh, Nehemiah 4, 19-20 says this, Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. Just a couple of thoughts from these verses. Nehemiah knew the job would require people to be spread out, to not always be in situations together. And that is something uh, 
that even if something was going to happen on one part of the wall, uh, then another part would be safe and secure. But he wanted people to be on guard for one another. He wanted people to not just be so involved in, in their section of the wall, in their own lives, that they weren't aware of what was going on somewhere else. And so these are the two questions that came to mind. Who are you surrounding yourself with that you will allow to speak into your situation or your discouragement? Who are you willing to be vulnerable with, to surround yourself with that can speak into your life? The second is this, how can you support others who are battling against discouragement? How are you going to support others who are battling against discouragement? At the beginning, I talked about this idea by faith, not by sight. At the beginning of our time this morning, I said that it's easy to allow what is right in front of us, what we are experiencing in the present, the warning signs or the paths that our emotions are leading us down to define our thoughts and actions and reactions. Nehemiah and those in Jerusalem had a huge task ahead of them. When they set out to build the wall, there was any number of obstacles or problems or enemies that stood in their way of completing that task. And yet they looked to God. They lived in his promises. They leaned heavily on their faith that, that the God who loves them and cares for them put them on this path for a reason and was not only concerned about the outcome, but was willing to stand with them through the process. Did they still experience discouragement? Yes, among other emotions. But the passage shows that they continually turned uh, to God during those times. I was reminded of this line uh, by a famous writer, Eugene Peterson, this week as I was writing this sermon. When he talks about our relationship with God and walking with him through uh, our lives, whether good or bad, he talks about this idea talks about our relationship with God as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Dealing with discouragement, dealing with all of our emotions, building our relationship with God, it's about our faith and future perspective. So often we can be so short-sighted allowing what is right in front of us to define our thoughts and actions while God is pleading with us to have faith in the relationship that he has called us to, to put one foot in front of the other, looking to him, a long obedience in the same direction. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you how you've encouraged me about the area of discouragement even this week. God, I thank you for our emotions. I thank you for uh, the way that they can enhance our lives. God, but we don't want to be just driven by our emotions. We need a more firm foundation, and that is found in you. God, we thank you that you are a God that loves us, cares for us, wants to protect us, and also wants to walk alongside us. God, we thank you for this new series and for this morning. In your name, amen.